This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Um, uh, and uh, tonight we are learning Le'ilu Nishmat David ben Latifi and Le'ilu Nishmat Yecheskel ben Abraham and Le'ilu Nishmat Abraham ben Chaim Yehuda. So we're going to be continuing on our uh, topic of Imuna, and one of the I want to say one of the actually really important parts of Imuna is, well, actually, one of the really important parts in life is sleeping. We, we spend a lot of time sleeping, and I want to really discuss the aspect of sleeping, the, the importance of sleeping. So the way that we're going to do this is the way that we've done similar topics is where we would discuss first um, scientifically, like we'll bring a lot of, quite a few actually, um, uh, you know, different studies on the importance of sleep, and then we're going to transition that into what the Torah says, what the Torah thinks, what's the pro- appropriate amount, and how and so and how we're really supposed to be doing it. So we all know that sleeping is important. You have people that need their beauty sleep. They have people that if they don't get enough sleep, they become grouchy. Um, and you have people that sleep anywhere from three, four hours a night to eight, 12, 14 hours you know, a night, which again, it has to be a healthy balance. But let's look, before we get into the, the length of time that you should be sleeping, let's look at the benefits, first of all, sleeping strictly scientifically from this point. So we're going to split it up into different um, areas of the body. We're going to start off with the brain functioning. If somebody has a decreased amount of sleep, let's say they have a short amount of sleep, their brain function goes down. They have lower concentration. They have lower productivity. Their memory is also decreased. A uh, 2015 study that was brought down in the Journal of Child Psychology and Psychiatry showed also that there is a direct impact between a child's sleeping patterns and their behavior and academic performance, meaning that it not only affects who you are, it changes who you are as a person, it affects your behavior, it also affects how you do well in school, how well you could comprehend, how well you could um, understand things. And another, another study was done on interns, doctors, that we all know doctors, they spend tremendous amount of time in uh, in the hospitals, and their shifts are ridiculously long. They they like fall asleep in little places over there, but they could be on call for I don't know twenty four hours straight. And they did a study that if a doctor was on call more than twenty four hours, meaning that they were on the floor more than twenty four hours, there was a thirty six percent more serious medical errors than people than the doctors that were that were allowed to sleep more. Meaning that it, it has such a and you know the doctors that the way that they work is that. They drill into them nonstop for seven years in school, and then they go into, uh, you know, and then they go into residency, and then they go into internship. They go into so much schooling that they could do this in their sleep. And even still that, they get, they come to some radical errors when they don't have enough, enough sleep. There was another study that they found that short sleep, meaning that you slept shorter, has, it could have a negative impact just similar to the degree of alcohol intoxication, meaning like you're drunk. It's almost like you're drunk when you don't have enough sleep. A uh, Harvard University study showed that if somebody gets only five hours of sleep a night, then it can adversely affect, negatively affect your information of like of your memory, meaning that you'll be like, oh, where did I put my keys? Uh, where am I supposed to be going? What was the thing that I came? You know, you come into a room and then you walk into a room and you're like, why am I here? And you have no idea. And you're like, you feel like you're 175 years old and you walk out of the room. And then you're like, oh yeah, that's what I came. And then you go back to the room and you still forget what's going on over there. You still don't know what's going on. And I'm not saying there could be have some memory issues going on, but there, it's very likely it could be that there's a lack of sleep. When there's a lack of sleep, the brain is not functioning to its full capacity. When the brain is not functioning to its full capacity, you're not as productive. You can't, uh, you can't do things as, as, as well. When you are alert, it's just like happiness. When you have the simcha happiness, you're able to go and do things so much better. Think about, um, let's say you are, I don't want to say interested in class. Let's say you're, you're, let's use that example. Let's say you're very interested in a certain topic. And you come in to hear a speaker speak about a certain topic and you're pumped about hearing everything, then you're not going to be tired even if that speaker is speaking like this. And he's going to want to put you to sleep. I am a computer. You know, that they're going to, even still, it's because you want that information, because you like that information, you're riveted by it, and then you're going to be able to go and stay with it. But if it's something that you're like, uh, whatever, then you'll, it'll be very easy for you to fall asleep. 
But put add to that if you're additional if you're tired from that, then you're reducing your capacity, your productivity, your memory capacity, your concentration level to a very very low state. That is memory. Let's look at a different area in the body: depression. If you don't get enough sleep, the, there was a study in the Australia, from Australian and New Zealand Journal of Psychiatry that people that have disorders such as insomnia, insomnia is um, somebody who has a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep. Uh, sometimes they take medication. We're not going to get into the medication because the medication actually don't help you have a restful sleep, which we'll see how, how it plugs into the Jewish aspect of it, the Yiddishkeit aspect of it. Uh, or someone who has, let's say, obstructive sleep apnea. These are people that when they go to sleep, um, they stop breathing and they don't have a restful sleep. I had a friend of mine once that he went to a certain, uh, you know, a certain place to get like a sleep study done. And he told me that he went in there for like six hours. And I'm like, you slept for six hours? And he told me how he slept. It was like in a room, like a hospital room, with like wires plugged in everywhere. He had like, he had like a stuff on his mouth that he was like going into outer space or scuba diving. And he had all this, all this stuff stuck to him. And he told me he had the best sleep that he ever had in his life. I'm like, what? How can you sleep like that? And the answer was that he had sleep apnea, meaning that he stopped breathing numerous times in the middle of the night while he's sleeping. So he didn't have a restful sleep. They plugged him onto the machine and they plugged him onto different monitors to see how he works and it, how, how his body functions. And while they were doing that, they gave him the, the oxygen that he needed, meaning that he, even though he was in an area that was not comfortable, full of lights, beeping, sirens, noises, who knows what was going on, but he had a restful sleep because the quality of the sleep was very restful. But what happened, says the study, says, says the, the, in the study, an Australian and New Zealand Journal of, of Psychiatry says that if somebody has insomnia or obstructive sleep apnea, they have these dis- sleep disorders, they are more likely to show signs of depression. Meaning that somebody that doesn't get enough sleep would have a higher likelihood of showing signs of depression. There was another study in the uh, JAMA Psychiatry that brings down, uh, they correlated people that committed suicide over, 10, over the period of 10 years and a lack of sleep. And they saw that it was a very much a contributing factor that people, not saying that if someone doesn't sleep, they're going to go commit suicide, but there is a link to that, to depression. That is, so we spoke about the cognitive uh, you know, abilities and we spoke about your mood, your depression. Let's speak about heart disease. There are over... 15 studies that were just so easily accessible that people that you could just easily search that if you don't get enough sleep, you have a greater risk of heart disease. And in fact, there's something crazy. Listen to it. Unbelievable. There was a global experiment that it's done twice a year. Every year, there's a global experiment. Guess how many? Over 1.6 billion people participate in this experiment. You participated, you don't even know about it. And what's this experiment? This experiment is called daylight saving time. What happens is in spring you lose an hour of sleep. Soon we're going to be gaining an hour of sleep. We're going to be moving the clock forward. So in spring, when you lose an hour of sleep, the clock goes back. They saw an increase of 24% of heart attacks the next day. The following day, an increase in 24%. In fall, when we gain an hour of sleep, they saw a reduction of 21% of heart attacks. Isn't that crazy how, how much it's correlated toward, towards it? And that's one hour. One hour they slept extra, one hour they got lo- lower. It had a, a direct correlation to uh, heart attacks. That's heart disease. Let's look at immune function. Immunity. There was a, I don't know who agreed to, this, to do this study, but whatever it was, this is what the study was. They got a bunch of people to come in for two weeks. And what they did was, is that they gave these people the cold. The, it wasn't the flu, they gave them a cold virus. They put it in, in like nasal drops, they put it inside their nose, and they eat, these people got the cold. And now, part of the people less, you know, they, they divided into half. Part of the people slept less than seven hours, and the other part, people slept eight hours or more. The people that slept less than seven hours were three times more likely to develop a cold, meaning that their immune system was not able to fight it off as much as the people that slept longer. Meaning that when you go to sleep, you're immu- when you sleep well, your immunity works better. Now, by the way, I just got to put a pause over here. It doesn't mean that I'm saying everyone should go to sleep for 14 hours a day. Absolutely not. You have to stay with me. There's a level of how much you're supposed to sleep depending... When you're younger, you're supposed to sleep uh, more. Uh, children, and that's why you know people, uh, you know, are obsessed, especially kids. Oh, I want to go to sleep later. I want to go to sleep later. I want to go to sleep. Oh, I, what time do you go to sleep? What time do you go to sleep? Oh, I went to midnight. I never slept in a week. Oh, you know, everyone has their own things about what they're going to sleep. The the essence is it has a negative impact on your body. 
any loving parent will go and tell their kids to make sure that they go to sleep early because it affects their body and affects their cognitive, affects their behavior, affects so many things. You want to be a healthy child. You want to have a healthy functioning body. You have to sleep enough hours, especially as a child. So there was a person by the name of Matthew Walker. He was a, a scientist and professor of neuroscience and psychology at the University of California in Berkeley, California. So he did a study over here, or he brings down the study of natural killer cells. These are called either NK cells or K cells or killer cells, depending on how you want to define it. These are a type of lymphocytes. It's a, it's a white blood cell. And the focus of this blood cell is that it, it's sort of like, think of it as an assassin. It's the Mossad inside your body or something, right? It goes, it's an assassin, and it kills unwanted elements in your body. So let's say, God forbid, there's a cancerous uh, cell or tumor or something like that. These killer cells go and they kill the unwanted um, cells in the body, which means you want to have these killer cells working for you at full capacity. They made an experiment. of They restri- restricted someone to sleep or the people to sleep for only four hours in one night. There was reduction of these natural killer cells. Listen to this. The reduction was 70% of a drop. One night decreased by, they slept only four, uh, four hours. It was a decrease of 70%. There was such a strong link between lack of sleep and cancer that the World Health Organization classifies anybody who has nighttime shift work, meaning that they work in the nighttime. You know, people that work in the hospitals, people work in, you know, different facilities, are they working at night? That is a probable carcinogen for cancer, meaning that it's, that it's considered something that is a uh, carcinogen, meaning that's, you know, I don't know how more better to explain that. Very, very bad, basically. That is the immunity. Let's go to weight gain. Oh, very important. Anybody who wants to go and lose weight, People that are sleep deprived have a bigger appetite and also have a stronger risk factor for obesity. And in fact, children who have short duration of sleep are 89% more likely to develop obesity. Adults are 55% more likely to develop, to develop obesity. Meaning that if you want to go and you want to lose weight, uh, want to lose weight, you want to make sure that you're getting good quality sleep. And finally, let's finish off with one final um, scientific uh, you know fact. And that's the Journal of Sleep Research said that it, the lack of sleep also affects your emotional stimuli. That you know, people have the ability to—it's called emotional empathy—how to how to recognize people's emotions and expressions, know how to read people, know how to understand social cues and things like that. Uh, I guess you could call it more of social and emotional intelligence. And if you have a, a decrease in sleep, that your body is not functioning to full capacity, you are not able to, you have issues recognizing other people's emotions and express, expressions. Which is like crazy aspects. So meanwhile, the, the f- purpose of what I'm saying this is how important sleep is. Now, I'm not saying how important hours of sleep is. My real focus is going to be the quality of sleep. You have, we, we spoke about that you have a decrease in memory and concentration and hence a decrease in productivity in whatever you're doing in life. Whether it's learning, whether it's teaching, whether it's working, whether it's whatever it is that you're doing, you have a decrease in productivity. You have a more likelihood for depression, a more likelihood for heart disease. Uh, it, your immune function is decreased. You have a more likelihood of, of getting weakened. You have social and emotional, uh, you know, intelligence is, is decreased. There's a lot of factors that are affecting by your sleep. So now, we go one final thing in, in science. We say, what is, what does science say? So, okay, fine. Science goes and says how important sleep is. And rightfully so, it is very important. So how long should you sleep for? How long should you sleep for? So there was a professor by the name of Robert Stickle. He was a professor of psychiatry at Harvard University Medical School. One of the most, you know, I guess highly respected expert in, sleeps in, the world, in sleep in the world. And he goes and he says that ideal amount of sleep, he comes in with eight hours. Eight hours of sleep is ideal amount. Uh, it should be not should be should not be less than six between six and eight hours. But he goes to say something very interesting. More than eight hours of sleep is a waste of time. You don't need it. And he goes furthermore and he says for let's say students or other people who are seeking to acquire new information or skills in different areas, meaning they want to comp- they want to they want to acquire more knowledge. Right amount of sleep is even more important than the person's level of intelligence. That. Question, the, the thing that we have to look over here is the Mishnah Torah, which was the Rambam. Which, so over 800, the Rambam was written over, the Rambam wrote the Mishnah Torah over 800 years ago. And in there he discusses many factors, many things, um, including aspects of how, how a person's supposed to eat, how a person's supposed to sleep, uh, how long a person's supposed to sleep, different, uh, different ideas and aspects of that. And 
in there he goes and he says, you know how long a person, thank you, how long a person is supposed to sleep for? He goes and he says, eight hours is sufficient for people to go uh, to go to sleep. And he goes on furthermore, he says, more than that provides no benefit to a person's health. This is the Rambam, which came over 800 years ago, came something that scientists just came out right now, how much a person's supposed to sleep. And the Rambam goes and says, night and day, they're together, what, they're 24 hours. We all know it's 24 hours. But it is enough for a person to sleep a third of that, which is eight hours. There's something very interesting. The Mukubalim, the Kabbalists, they go and they, and they bring a proof of this from Eov, from Job, chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Atashachafti ve'eshkot. For now I will be lying down in tranquility and, and peace. And then it goes and says, Yashanti, I would sleep as Yanuach li. I would sleep, and then I will be, I will be restful. But the Kabbalists read it different. Yeshanti, I will sleep. Uz. What's Uz? Numerical value, the, the gematria of Uz. Aleph is one. Zion is seven. One plus seven is eight. Yeshanti, I would sleep. What would I sleep? Uz. Eight. Eight hours. Yenuachli, and then I, then I should be rested. Meaning that you want to be rested? It's right there in the Pasuk. You have to sleep eight hours. You gotta look in the Torah. You don't need to go to the science. No need to go to anything. Everything is written in the Torah. Hakadosha. Okay, so the Tzadikim, now we have to ask like something like this. The tzaddikim, we know, all the righteous people, they don't sleep eight hours a night. They barely sleep, uh, you know, two, three hours a night. I have been, I have been to, um, I can't say the name now because of what I'm going to say, but I've been to a very big gadol that I was speaking to, to him, and he was holding my hand, and as I was speaking to him, he just like, he felt, he felt, I mean, I don't know if he fell asleep, but he went up to like, it was a big mukubal. So I don't know if he went up to the heavens, what he did, but I was holding his hand and all of a sudden his head goes down. For about two minutes, I was sitting, holding this gadol's hand, like, you know, holding it, and he was just asleep, or he was asleep. I don't know what it was, but uh, I don't know, the truth is to this day, I don't know if he was sleeping, closing his eyes in meditation, I have no idea what it was, but he, two minutes, he wakes up, and then he, or he looks at me, and then he continues just, just as if we left off. I have no idea what happened during that, uh, that two minutes. But we see over here, we know that, that righteous people, they don't sleep eight hours, they sleep two, three hours, three hours a night, and that's why, when we, the goal of tonight is to focus on the quality of sleep. But we, first we see that we hear how important sleep is for our bodies, for our minds, for our well-being, for our relationships also, it also affects your relationship. So, when you look at the things that affect sleep the most, what would you think would be one of the number one causes that affect sleeping, that cause sleeping difficulties? Call it insomnia, call it whatever it is. One of the number one issues is stress. Things that, you know, you're stressed for, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's health, whether it's children, whether it's spouse, whatever it's related, stress causes one of these things. I want to share with you something about Shimshim Pincus. Shimshim Pincus goes, and also says, he also brings down that the world is built in 24 hours. A person needs to sleep 6 to 8 hours. This says Rabbi Shem Pincus. But what happens during the day, we are very busy. We're running around over here. We have to work. And then we got to go deal with the family. And then we got to go deal with the spouse and the kids. And then, you know, the other aspects that we have to go shopping. And there's all these different things that we have to do that we don't have time, so to speak, to think about our problems. Think about our troubles. Think about our situations with which we want to deal with. And what happens the second that we go and we lay down and we have the phone not near us and we all of a sudden what starts coming to your mind? All the problems, all your fears, all your anxiety. All of a sudden it starts coming flushing into your mind. Now you have a chance to be quiet for a second. Now all of a sudden all these problems come into you. So right before you fall asleep, you're flooded with all your problems. And the problem is that by going to sleep with these thoughts on our minds cause, says the Shem because tremendous amount of damage to our souls, to our neshama. It caused so much problems to us. And this, you know, the, the unfortunately the best time if somebody wants to damage himself is to do this before you go to sleep. You go and you start thinking about all your problems cause tremendous amount of, of, of issues in your soul. Now, Says Rabbi Shem we don't even realize how important it is, how imperative it is that when we go to sleep, that we are in a proper state of mind, that we're in proper, we have proper thoughts when we go to sleep. And he goes on to explain, he says, you know, the world begins in Tishrei and ends in Tishrei. It's sort of Rosh Hashanah, when Rosh Hashanah, everything is created, right? This is today's the creation of the, of the world. Well, how does that, he, he explain that? He says, let's say you have a little child. And this little child is building one block after another block, after another block, after another block, after another block, and it's getting higher and higher. And all of a sudden, the child can't reach to the top and he wants to finish the tower. So what happens? The father comes and finishes off the tower. 
This is how God goes over to us. Akadosh Baruch goes over to us and says, you have to work and you have to work and you have to work until you reach the point that you can't reach anymore. And that's when Akadosh Baruch says, I'm going to go and I'm going to be Mitaru. I'm going to go and I'm going, this is what Aselti Mechubah, this is culminating in Yom Kippur. This is what it is. God says, I am going to renew you. I'm going to go and create to you a new person. And then you'll be able to enter the sukkah in a state of ketusha and tahara. This is how you're going to come in. Why? Because you work, 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 and God finishes it all for you. There is a yearly cycle of where we have the year, that we have Oshana, Yom Kippur, the, clarific- the, the purification process, and then we start again afresh new, the next year. But there's also a miniature cycle, says Rabbi and that goes every 24-hour day. That every 24-hour day, a person wakes up, gets up in the morning, he's refreshed. And he comes into all the way, the whole day he's working, working, and then he gets, at night he's tired. Now says Rabbi Shem Shempikas, why is a person tired at night? Why is it? You think it's natural. Okay, you work hard, you're moving your body a lot, you exercise, whatever it is, you become tired. Says, he goes, Rabbi Shem goes and says, it's not just a physical tiredness, there's a spiritual thing that's going on over here. We look at Belashit in Genesis chapter 25 or verse 29. It says, Esav, when Evayovo Esav minasadan, Esav came from the field, Vuayef. Esav came from the field and he was tired. What was he tired for? Says Rashi, he was, you know what he was tired for? He was tired for murder. The question is like, what, like, what does that mean? Like, oh, like, oh, I did so much murder today, I am so tired. Like, where, where does that, like, how do you even understand that? The murder aspect is, is, is the tiredness out of all aspects. Like, you know, I'm sure, what about all the robbing, all the other, you know, things that he did? Why specifically does it speak about the bad? It speaks about the sin. It speaks about murder. And the answer is, is that during the course of the day, you know, we're awake 15, 18 hours, and what happens? Unfortunately, a, unfortunately, a person could go and speak Lashonara. A person could go and pray without Kavanah. A person could get angry. A person could look at things that they weren't supposed to look at. A person should, could be dressing not the way that they're supposed to be dressing. And we're doing tons and tons of, unfortunately, of sins. We're doing all these sins, and what's happening? These sins are making our soul tired. It's bringing an effect in our soul, and it makes us tired. Think of it at, at, in the... In the big cycle of things, Yom Kippur, you have a whole year, you, you realize you come out of Yom Kippur, you did it properly, you come out refreshed, you come out rejuvenated, you come out anew. Because we had an entire year of sins and all of a sudden we got cleansed. We did Shubha, we come, God cleanses and purifies us. That's what happens when a person goes to sleep. When a person goes to sleep, he's full of sins that day. So God takes his neshama up to heaven. And he goes and he cleans it and he purifies it. And then you wake up in the morning refreshed. You know why you're refreshed? Because your soul went up to heaven. And went up to Hashem, visited Hashem, and God purified you. Just like you have the purification of Yom Kippur, says Rav Shem here you have a purification in miniature. This, says Rav Shem is the secret of the sleep's power to rejuvenate us. It's not because the body had a chance to rest. It's because God purified you during the course of the night. And just like you have Yom Kippur, is extreme, the process is extremely important. It's precious for spiritual development. We have to do you know, our part in Yom Kippur. We have to go, we pray, we do tshuva, we make sure we fast, we do certain things, we don't wash our hands. We, we have certain criteria, what we do to work on ourselves, so that we will be worthy of going and having this purification. But we also have to do something for the night. When we go to sleep and we have a purification, we also have to do something. So what should we do? What, what is the process of purification at night? Says Rambam very easy, very simple. All we have to do is recite Kriyashma, Kriyashma Almita. You have to say Kriyashma and fall asleep understanding those aspects. You say Shema Yisrael, you say God is one. We say in Kriyashma Almita, we go and it says, Biyatcha Afkiduchi, I place my spirit in your hand. I'm giving to you God, everything is in your hand. And we also say, Yoshev Besetar Elyon, I'm dwelling in the shelter of God. I realize there's a lot of aspects over here that are related to Emuna. I place my spirit in your hand, it's all in your hand. I am dwelling in the, in the, in the, in the shelter of God, in the Emunah, of, in, the, in the sanctuary of God. So what's happening? One of our biggest issues is that in time of crisis, in time of troubles, in time of, of situations, we have a tendency to fall asleep feeling broken, feeling upset, feeling down maybe. And what happens? We don't recite Kriyachma properly. We don't declare Hashem's oneness. We sleep with, we have sleep, we go to sleep with troubling thoughts. And we go to sleep with troubling thoughts. These thoughts stay with us. So we have these bad thoughts. Whatever you go to sleep is, that's what stays with you throughout the entire night. So if you're thinking about bad thoughts, about evil thoughts, about negative thoughts, about depressive thoughts, that's what you're saying for the five, six, seven, eight hours that you're sleeping at night. And you're waking up with that also. And that affects your sleep. It affects your quality. So before a person goes to sleep, a person has to forget for at least a moment about all his troubles. 
He should go and declare the oneness of God. Everything is in your hand. Shema Yisrael. That's what we're saying. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Everything is in your hand. I'm giving my spirit in your hand. It's all, it's all in your control, God. I can't do anything about it. My problems, it doesn't matter. Right now, I'm giving them to you. So much so, how important this is. Listen to this scary, scary Gemara in Brachot, page 8b. They said, if somebody does not recite Kriyat Shema someone doesn't say Kriyat Shema before they go to bed, you know what the Gemara says about it? It says, Do not sleep, uh, do not sit on Aramean, Aramean bed. What does that mean? What's a, what's a mitas aramis? It's a bed of a non-Jew. Meaning that if you go to sleep without reciting Kriyashma, it's like you're going and you're sleeping in a bed of a non-Jew. What does that mean? What is that? What is the aspect of it? Explains Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus. You go and you le- when you sleep when you go to sleep without saying Kriyashma, you, you're leaving the realm of kedusha completely. And that's just like I'll tell you the, the the scary thing of it. The time that we spent sleeping is a big chunk. Of our a big chunk of our life, and we spend a big chunk of our life sleeping. And to the, to the sense, you could say probably a third of our life is um, is sleeping. And if you think about it, if you're going and you're falling asleep without saying kachma, then you're living a large amount of your life like a non-Jew. You're living in effect like a you know like a non-Jew. And that's scary. The big chunk. That's if you, the, all you got to do is say kiyachman. If you're not, you, you're, you're you're. It's like you're sleeping in a, in a bed of non-Jew. It's like you're living in a in a um, uh, uh, life as a, as a non-Jew. The aspect that we have to do over here is very little effort. All we have to do is recite kiyachma alamita. We all have to do is, is say kiyachma. And once we have kiyachma, that's it. We're sleeping in a bed of a Jew at a high level. To a high level, I'll tell you. It explains the of something very beautiful. That in business, you have to apply strategy. A good business deal is when you have your outlay, your, your, your investment is very small, but your profits are very great. It says the Vilnagon, right before he passed away. He was holding his tzitzit, his talit katan. And he was crying and he was saying, what a wonderful world I am about to leave. He says, for a few small coins, for a few small dollars, I could buy a tzitzit. And when I have a tzitzit, every single moment that I wear a tzitzit, you're getting, the, you know how many mitzvot? You're getting mitzvot every single moment. It's a mitzvah equal to all the value of all the 613 mitzvot. That's a crazy deal that you, all you do is you wear a tzitzit, for one minute you get the value of 613 mitzvot for one minute. And you do that for 24 hours for at least the daytime. Imagine the world of mitzvot that you could do that. This makes world upon world. And not only that, these mitzvot, they bring you blessings. They bring you panasah, success, good children. Uh, you know, I don't mean to call anybody out over here, but I don't understand when guys say, I can't put on tzitzit. I don't understand. I'm like, I, I don't understand. I, I really don't understand. Okay, when you're swimming, when you exercise, okay, fine, whatever, those situations. But in regular, why can't you put... Nobody could see it. You can't even feel it. There's nothing... that I, I really don't understand the excuses that people have in it. You have a small effort that you have to do, and the benefit, the outcome, the reward is enormous. You want to be a smart businessman? This is a smart business deal. Where you do a little, but you get a tremendous amount of reward. This is how a person is supposed to, you, you, you should look for these things. Look for these type of mitzvot, where you do a little bit, and you get tremendous amount of reward. Says Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus, Kriya Shema Alamita, this is such a mitzvah. Where you do a small investment, five to ten minutes, and you're gaining six, seven, eight hours of kiddushah. You're getting, your, your soul goes up to heaven in the kiddushah. When you're going, whatever you fall asleep thinking of, that's what you're going up to heaven with. So obviously, it goes without saying you shouldn't read, you know, these, you know, non-Jewish books or stories or videos or whatever it is that you're watching or doing. You should not be doing this before you fall asleep because this is what's going on. This is what you're going on to the next world, and you're taking that with you for the next six, seven, eight hours. And if you have just five minutes when you say kriyat shema and you concentrate on what you're saying, you're taking the six, seven, eight hours that you are going to sleep anyways, and all of a sudden that turns into a mitzvah. And even furthermore, what you really should be doing is before you go to sleep, you should go and concentrate and say, right now, I'm, why am I going to sleep? I'm going to sleep so I could be able to do the mitzvot with better concentration, with better, what we spoke about in the beginning, well, the benefits of sleep. So you could, you could turn every aspect of your sleep into a mitzvah. Meaning that if somebody's smart, you're able to capitalize on every moment in your life 
and you're, that you're doing for the benefit of God, for the benefit of the Torah, for the benefit of mitzvot, and all of a sudden, whatever you're doing, whether it's enjoyable, whether it's whatever, it's food, whether it's eating, whether it's sleeping, whether it's exercising, you're doing it for what? For it to, to help you serve God better. There was an interesting study that was done on how long people sleep now versus how long they slept in the 1940s. In the 1940s, it says people on average slept 7.9 hours a night. Now, an average is 6.5 hours. I would venture to guess that if I would have to say a reason why, I would say social media. You have people on their tablets, the computers, the phones. And what are they doing? People are scrolling. I, I don't understand how, you know, I speak to people, or let's say, where they come in, they're like, oh, I'm so tired. Uh, you know, Rabbi, I only slept two hours last night. I'm like, why? What, what were you doing last? I thought maybe he's building a house. I don't know what he's doing. It's business. He's like, no, well, yeah, I went to bed at like 11 o'clock, but I was on my phone till three in the morning. Four, I'm like, four, what are you doing on your phone for four hours? Well, you know, I got to check the social media. I'm like, what is checking the social media? What, what is it that you got to do? There is checking social media, and then there's stalking social media. And you have over there people that, what are they doing? Before they go to sleep, they look at everybody else's life. Oh, this one's going on vacation. Oh, this one got married before me. Oh, this one has such a great spouse. They take the pictures and say, oh, the best husband in the world with a bouquet of flowers. Uh, I don't know, this huge uh, um, you know, present and whatever it is in the background. Look how great I have at my spouse. And then they have the well-behaved kids in bow ties you know, with waiters like serving you, who knows what. And then you have them, you know, their vacation homes and their second homes and their third homes and the fourth homes. And you're sitting over there and you're like, you know, living in your parents' basement. You'd be like, I didn't get accomplished anything in my life. What's going on over here? And what happens, all you're thinking about is you're thinking about, oh, I didn't accomplish this. I didn't accomplish that. Now I'm lacking this. Now I'm lacking that. So you're coming depressed. You're coming down. You go into your situation. That's how you're going to sleep. And you're sleeping like that for six, seven, eight hours. That's you're taking with you into the next world. And you're bringing it right back down over here. You're not going to wake up refreshed. You're not going to have a refreshing sleep. So the question is, how are we to go and move away from our problems? You know, the, one of probably the, I don't know, I can't say the worst thing. You know, people say like, oh, you know, mosquito bite is the worst thing. It's not the worst. You know, like one of the like really bad things with could go on in your person's mind is the what if. You know, if I had this abilities of this person, then I would be, you know, so forth. If my family had more money, then I had this. If my family was religious, then I would be like this. If my family was not religious, then I'll be like that. Everybody has their own, uh, you know, dream, I don't want to call it fantasy of like the other, you know, alternate universe of how, what they would be like. And it'd be like, oh, if this would have been, this would have been perfect. If God created you the way that you are, this is the way that you're supposed to be. That if God, you know, in, in this, unfortunately, this day and age, if God created you as a man, God wants you to be a man. God didn't make a mistake and created you a woman thinking that you should really be a man. Or God didn't go and create you in a certain way, short, and you're supposed to be tall. No, if God created you a certain way, He created you with all knowledge, knowing that this is the best thing for you. There was a man by the name of Yitzhak Perlman. He was a world-famous violinist. And he was unfortunately stricken with polio as a young kid. And he had to wear braces on both of his legs. And he had to walk with two crutches. So he had braces and two crutches. And when he would give a concert, the audience would be used to him. You know, he would walk across the stage, you know, one step at a time with his crutches. Very slow, very painfully. And then he would sit down and then he would start the, um, you know, pick up his violin and start the concert. In 1995, he went to play at Avery Fisher Hall at Lincoln Center in New York City. And he did the same routine. He went from, you know, from one step to another step, moving his crutches. And he goes and finally gets to his, to his seat. He puts his crutches down. He undid his claps, clasps of his leg braces. He moves his legs and tucks one foot into, into the other. And then he picks up the violin and positions it under his chin. And he starts playing. When he begins, just as he finishes playing the first few bars, all of a sudden, a string, one string on the violin snapped. And when it snapped, first of all, it sounded like a it sounded like a like a, a gunshot or something. It came like extremely, extremely loud. And now he was left with only three strings on his violin. We all know that you need four strings on the violin. So everybody in the audience did, okay, you know what he's gonna have to do? He's gonna have to put his legs back into the clasps, into the into his into his clasps, get his crutches, walk across back out to the, you know, to behind the stage, get a new violin, and then come out and continue playing. And that's what even the orchestra, they stopped playing. And he goes over to them and he says, no, no, no. And he sits over there and he concentrates for like a minute. He closes his eyes and he concentrates. And then he goes over to the conductor. He says, you know, continue playing. 
And the conductor's like, okay, no problem. And the orchestra began from where they let off, left off. And he played with such passion, such power, with three strings like never before. Now, anybody who knows anything about violin or music knows that it's impossible to play a symphonic work with just three strings. You have to know, yeah, you need at least four strings. And, you know, you could say that I know that. You could say that you know that. But that night, Yitzhak Perlman refused to know that. He refused to go and say, no. He went and he started playing with only three strings. And you could see as he was playing, he would be, he was modeling, changing. He was recomposing the pieces in his head to fit into the three strings violin that he had. After he finished, it was like the whole auditorium, the whole uh, concert hall was just like silence. And all of a sudden, everyone stood up together and gave him like a standing ovation. And this Yitzhak Perlman stands up, he was smiling, and he said in a very slow, quiet, and humbling way, he goes, and I want to quote for you, he says, you know, sometimes it's the artist's job to find out how much music he can still make with what he has left. Meaning that this man... Isaac Perlman, was willing and prepared to make music with four strings. But that night, all he had was just three strings. And you know what? With the three strings, he made them more beautiful, more memorable than any other music that he ever composed, ever played before. You know, in life, we have to play with the strings that we get. Sometimes we get four strings, sometimes we get three strings, sometimes we get two strings. It doesn't matter the strings that we have. The question is, are you going to keep on playing? Sometimes life doesn't go the way that we expect it. Or we may lose a string, or we may not get it the extra string that we wanted to. But the question that's going to be asked of you is, will you keep playing? Will you keep trying? Will you keep growing? Despite the snapping of the strings. Now what happens is, when you go to sleep, and you think about all the strings, so to speak, that you lost, and you take that with all with you, you're not going to have a restful sleep. And you're not going to be able to function well the next day. You have to go to sleep on a positive note. Says says it's very, very hard. What's going to be? How is a person supposed to deal with it? He quotes a midrash in Bereshit Rabbah. Avram Avinu was called the great among the giants. And so much so that Avram Avinu, he rejoiced when, when, he, when he had the, the requirement, the obligation to go, when God told him to go and sacrifice his only son. Avram rejoiced over the special mitzvah. But the midrash goes and says, Avram stretched out his hand. And when he stretched out his hand to take a knife, his eyes, he shed tears. He started crying. And Avram Avinu actually cried as he lifted the knife. And you know what? He's a man. He's a human being made of flesh and blood. And when he has trouble, he cries. And people think that, you know, if you cry, that means you have a lack of bitachon. Not necessarily. It's normal to cry. It's normal to deal with your problems, with your suffering. You know, we're not meant to be angels. We are human beings. And when a person's in a, during a time of crisis, you're allowed to cry. But now the question is, is that if you have to go and you have to live a level of the munah and bitachon, if you have to go to sleep with happiness, if, then how are you supposed to do this? Intellectually, yes, we can understand that everything that God does, God does for the, for the best. But how are we going to go and understand this? There was once a person who his goal in life was to help people get out of prison. Pidon Shvuim. He went and he would try to go and if somebody was in prison for whatever reason, he did whatever he could in his power to go and free that person or to get a bit easier sentence. Whatever it is that he could do, that was his thing. There's certain people that have a certain mitzvah and that is what they do. And this particular person, this was his thing, to get people out of prison. And then one time, suddenly, out of the blue, for no reason, he gets locked up in prison. And he was so upset. He's like, what? He says, how can God do this to me? He says, this is the mitzvah that I help other people. This is what I focus on. This is what I do for other people. He calls his rabbi to come visit him. His rabbi comes and he goes and he says, why does God do this to me? This is the main thing that I help other people. Why is God doing this to me? So the rabbi answered him, you know, Avraham, his main focus in life, we know, was chesed. He would go and he would help travelers that were traveling. He would go and he would help them with chesed, with giving them a place to sleep, giving them something to eat, teaching them about God, of course. He did all these things, so much so that his house was open on all four sides. Meaning that you shouldn't have to walk around to the front of the house. You could enter in at any side. And his focus was so much about chesed, about about al-chim, that even when he had his brit milah, when he had when he was in the worst pain possible, at a hundred years old, he's in excruciating pain, and he has a brit milah, he's still waiting, and he wants to have guests. That's how much he wants to do chesed. That's how much he wants to do achnasat al-chim. So you think if such a person is so careful on achnasat al-chim that when he travels, easy smooth sailing, 
But what happened when he was traveling? He goes to Paro, and what happens? His wife, Sarah, is taken by him, and is taken to, to, to the king, to Paro. Now the question is why? Why would God do that? Says the rabbi. Says, you know, when Abraham was traveling, he had his difficulties in his travels. And once you have your difficulties and you're traveling and you can, you, you're, you see what people go through, you see the difficulties. If you've never traveled before, you cannot relate, you cannot comprehend. But once you related, you associated with that issue, all of a sudden now that other people are traveling, you're able to relate to them and be like, I know, I was traveling, I dealt with the situations that you're going through. I've had the difficulties. Once you're going through the same issues as, as somebody else, you're able to relate to that person much better. You're able to help that person much better. That chesed is going to be a thousand times better because you know what they're going through. You have people that have, let's say for example, infertility issues. They had a problem getting pregnant. So what do they do? They went and they started organization that help other couples have infertility. And by the way, there's a certain organization that I know, there was a group of women that had infertility issues and they worked and they started up this organization. Now each one of them have children. And most likely already grandchildren. The People, let's say, that go through you know, drug addiction or abuse or different things that they went through in their life, you could, you, instead of saying, God, why do you do this for me? Maybe use your pain to help others. You're able to go, you know, when I speak to people, let's say, that have drug issues, how much could I relate? Thank God I never dealt with drugs. I never had, to, I never had that, that issue, Baruch Hashem. So when I say, like, oh, don't do it, I'd be like, Rabbi, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, what do you even know about cocaine? Like, what do you know about heroin? Like, what do you know about these things? Like, you, it's hard. But that's why when I speak to people who have drug issues, drug addictions, I'll be like, you're the one that could help these people. You know, these so many teenagers, kids that are going off the dark, unfortunately, and they're going to so many things. You're the type of person, you've been there, you could help them. There's so many people that went through abuse in their life. You could help other people. You don't have to become a therapist. You could be there for somebody. You could help somebody. You could take someone in. You could grow from your experience and help other people. Now this guy goes over to the, the, the prisoner and says, you know, Avraham, his main mitzvah was chesed. He wanted to do achnazat him to the highest level. Now that he had problems in his uh, in his travels, now he can relate more to people that are traveling. Meaning that now his achnazat is going to be a thousand times better because he can relate. He has been in that problem, and when with you been in that problem, you know how to relate to that. And now this person goes over to the prisoner, the guy who said, he says, "You, your focus, your goal, your goal in life is to help people get out of prison." But now that you've been in prison, how much more can you help other people? You know what the pain that they're going through. Instead of saying, you know, I'm going to make a phone call tomorrow. To try. No, you're going to help them right now because you know every minute of being in prison is difficult. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's, bro- it's, so, it's so difficult on your soul and your body and your emotions and your intellect and all aspects. So you're going to work all that harder. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes to Avraham. And he goes and he says, Lech Lecha, go for your benefit. It's going to be your benefit. Lech Lecha is Lamed and Endechaf. Lamed is written pointing, it goes up. And Endechaf goes down. Meaning Lech Lecha, go for you. Both the ups in life and the downs in life is Lecha, is for you. Everything that you go through in your life, whether it's the good, whether it's the bad, it's for your benefit. So we asked, but Sarah was taken away. What benefit could be from Sarah being taken away? And the answer is that the Egyptians, well, one of the answers, the Egyptians used to go and paint, you know, people of royal heritage or like people of very high importance. And Sarah Aminu was so beautiful that even though Paro wasn't able to be with her, they still wanted, they went and they painted her and they put her on the royalty wall. It was a special wall for, for all the, the people that were considered very royal, very chasho over there. And they put her, they put her in that, on that wall. Many, 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 many years later, her great-great-grandchild, Yosef, gets, takes prisoner. And then he leaves the prison and he goes up to second-in-command. And all the people are there are going and they're telling Paro, what are you taking this prisoner, this low life, and you're going to bring him up to the second-in-command? The only person that can have a high position can have to have royal blood. How can you take a prison from prisoner and bring him up to the high level? And what did Paro do? Paro goes and says, let me show you something. And they go and they show him a picture of Sarah on the royalty wall. And you see over there, it says he does come from royalty. He's on the, he, and what happened over there? Uh, we know that Yosef was extremely handsome, extremely beautiful. Sarah was also extremely beautiful. They looked alike. They looked very closely alike. And Paul says, look, his, his great ancestor is right here on the wall. He is royalty. Lech Lecha. God says, it's for your benefit. 
We didn't, right then, Abraham says, why is Sarah taking, Abraham didn't say, but imagine, Abraham would go and say, why is Sarah being taken away from him? Why is she going to Pahol? And God is saying, you don't understand, right now I'm setting it up so that Yosef could be able to be second in command. And when Yosef is second in command in Egypt, he's going to be able to go and save his father and the 12 Shvatim from being captured and, and the essence, saving the entire Klal Israel. God tells Abraham, Lech Lecha, it's for your benefit. The up, the lamet, and the endachaf, the down. Whatever we do in life, it's for our benefit. When we go to sleep and we're thinking about our problems, we have to realize this very, very important concept. That everything in our life is lech lecha, it's for you. The ups, the downs, the sideways is for your benefit. And the more that you can internalize that, the more that you can appreciate where you're coming from, and the more that you're going to be able to go and grow from your situations and be more even, I guess, just as important to go to sleep in a calm state of mind. Now what happens, unfortunately, when people don't act this way? So when people have this nervousness, this pain feeling, this, this anxiety before they, go, before they go to sleep or whatever it is that they are during the day, they start going into different habits. Some people go to the cake. They start eating a lot when they're stressed. It's called stress eating. Or they start smoking. They start drinking. They start going to drugs. They start going into establishments that they would have never normally frequent. But all of a sudden, now that they have this anxiety, they lose a degree of self-control. When they're troubled, they're going through this, through, the, through, this, through this problem time. What, what, how do we understand that? How are we supposed to go and, and live through those moments? So you know what? When Rosh Hashanah comes, you know, we try to do the right thing. We, we're like the Asatim Echuvah, the Yamim Noraim, we go, we dive in better, we work better, we learn better, we do everything better, we trust more modestly, we do what we're supposed to be doing. But we all know that Yom Kippur is comparable to like Hashem bringing troubles. We know in Vayika chapter 23 verse 32, it says on, regarding on Yom Kippur, you will afflict yourself. Meaning that when we fast and when we undergo different various deprivations of our body and our soul, we suffer. And on Yom Kippur we suffer. We're hungry, we're thirsty, we're tired. We're going through a difficult time. Yet something very interesting. No one, could, no one loses control over himself. No one loses the control over himself. And at that moment, you know, when we think about it, it's such a holy day. And it's so important that even though we're going through these difficult times, we don't want to ruin it. We don't want to ruin it because we know how important Yom Kippur is. So even though we're hungry, even though we're tired, even though we're cranky, hangry, or all the other things that we are, we know today is a very important day. Let's capitalize on every moment that we have. And that's even if somebody doesn't, is not able to go to the synagogue. He's staying home or she's staying home because they have to take care of children. They're not going to start reading a book, a secular book during this time. They're not going to open up a magazine. They know the holiness of this day. Thank you. They know how, how holy this day is that even though the, even though they're going through difficulties, they know how to overcome it because they know the importance of it. Says Rabbi Shimshin Pink is the same thing when we're having a crisis. Whether it's a major crisis, whether it's a minor crisis. We feel pain. The important, and it's such an important and precious moment. We shouldn't ruin it. Says Rabbi Shimshim Pikas, even if we're the guilty party. Often we feel we did it to ourselves. We opened our big mouths. We messed things up. We lost control of ourselves. We, if we only would have done this, we would have done that. Even though that is a very, very precious moment to overcome. And that is something that you have to go and we have to work on. That This is just like Yom Kippur. We're suffering right now. But it's such an important moment. Don't mess it up. Don't go in through your, you know, other, you know, stress releasing type of uh, negative uh, addictions, if we could call it. There was once a very, very, very wealthy businessman. And this young boy, young man, started working for him. And things weren't going well for this young guy. He wasn't able to close deals. He wasn't able to make money. It wasn't working well with the coworkers. It was, things were just not working well. So he goes over, after a few months, he goes over to the owner this billionaire, and he goes over to him and he says, you know, just, I, I, it's just not working out. And he goes, I can't close, I can't make any money, I can't, uh, you know, it's not, you know, I can't interact well with my peers, it, it, you know, like, things are falling from all angles. And I, you know, and, he, and I feel like I'm just drowning. So this particular businessman, one of his hobbies was cooking. And he had this chef's kitchen in his office. He brings, he says, come with me. He brings him to the chef's kitchen, he takes out three pots. And in each of the pot he puts water, and in one pot, he put an egg. Another pot, he put a carrot. And another pot, he put coffee beans. And he doesn't say a word. 
he puts, he lights it on fire, and he sits over there, and he waits for 20 minutes. So I guess it was a little rocking chair in the corner, and the guy over there is like speaking to this billionaire, he doesn't want to, you know, the kavod, he can't just like interrupt him. And uh, after about 10 minutes, he's like, you know, sir, what's, uh, what's going on? The guy says, just wait. And he goes, and they wait for 20 minutes. 20 minutes go by, he gets up, he turns off all the flames, and he takes out the, the products that, that were inside. So he takes out the carrot, he takes out the egg, and the coffee beans melted, and now it's all coffee, and he spills the coffee into a cup. And he goes over to his, his worker, his employee, and he says, uh, what, what changed over here? And he's like, the, you know, the employee, didn't, the, the guy didn't understand what he's asking. What do you mean, what changed? He's like, so the, the billionaire goes and says, what changed in the cooking process? And he says, tell me what changed in the texture of the, of the, uh, you know, of the products that I put inside over here. So he feels the carrots and he says, well, the carrot is, uh, got softer. And he feels the egg and the egg got, became, was, uh, he breaks the shell and he sees the egg got hard. And finally he says, that, you know, the coffee is just, it became coffee. And the coffee makes this like this delicious, rich aroma that fills the ear. And he says, you know, and it made it smell good. And this businessman goes and says, you know what, you know what this means? He says, the carrot came into this water very strong. Carrot is hard as a rock, very, very strong. But as soon as you, it went into boiling water, it became soft and became weak. The egg came in on the opposite. It was very soft. Inside it was very fragile. It was liquid. But the longer that stayed in the water, the harder it became. But the coffee beans, they were very unique. You put them in the water, and they didn't really change so much themselves. They changed the water around it. And they changed the water into smelling much better and to become, have this rich aroma, this coffee, delicious coffee-smelling aroma. And this businessman goes and says, which are you? Are you the carrot that seems hard, but what happens when you experience pain and adversity, you become soft, you lose your strength, you're not able to cope. Or maybe you're the egg. The egg is, you start off very soft, but all of a sudden when you're faced with adversity, you become hard. Becoming hard is not a good thing. You're not able to deal with the situation. You lock up, you stiffen up. You're not able to deal with difficult times. Or maybe you're the coffee bean. You see, the coffee bean changes the surroundings. It changes the hot water. It changes the surroundings. It says, you know something very interesting? It says, the coffee, the egg, and the carrot were all had the same adversary. They all had water, boiling water, you know, attack them. But each one dealt with it dif- differently. The businessman goes and says, you want to succeed? He says, you can't go and become soft, become hard when difficulties like the egg or the carrot. He says, if you want to succeed in life, you want to succeed in the business world, then when, the difficult, when things become difficult around you, when things start boiling, when things start heating up around you, you have to go and change your surroundings, become the coffee, where you change your surroundings into sweet-smelling aroma. If you're going to sleep and you're worrying about it, that worrying is not going to make it any better. Either you're going to become soft like a carrot or hard like a, boil, a hard-boiled egg. What you want to become is that delicious smelling aroma of that coffee. But how are we going to be going, become that? That's when you go and say, You go to God and you say, When you know it's only God. Once you know it's only God, and this is the test that God has given you, these are the strings that God gave you to play with. This is the situation that God wants to put you inside over here. Then you're going to be able to go and accomplish and, 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 and attack that the correct way. We'll finish off with, there was once a person that uh, unfortunately lost a leg. There's actually two people, lost a leg, right, right next to each other. We're going into surgery. One person goes and he starts fetching and complaining and says, oh, I lost my leg, but thank God, at least I'm going to be able to get a prosthetic. Maybe I'm not going to be able to run a marathon, but I'll be able to make a living, I'll be able to have a family. Baruch Hashem, it'll all be good. As Rabbi Lezer Parkup brings us down. The other guy sitting right next to him also lost a leg. He goes and says, I'm finished. I'm a cripple. What do I have? I lost my leg. I'm not going to be able to do, run a business. I'm not going to be able to get married. I'm not going to be able to run a family. The same situation, two people are dealing with different, d- differently. One is dealing with it like a, like a coffee. One is dealing with it like, a, like an egg. Even more so, you have here once two elderly women sitting in a nursing home. And Mrs. A goes over to Mrs. B. And says, you know, I am so fortunate. I am so lucky. I have a daughter that doesn't, there's not a week that goes by that she doesn't come to visit me. 
And every time she comes to visit me, she gives me something. She gives me an orange or a chocolate or a magazine. How lucky I am. Mrs. B looks at her and says, you know what? You're such a lucky woman. He says, but I am devastated. He says, I have a son. But what can he do? The most that he could do is visit me once a week. And what do you think that he brings me once a week? Bring, nothing much. He'll bring me maybe an orange, maybe a chocolate, maybe a magazine. But that's it. Two women having the same situation in life. One looks at it as a blessing and the other one looks at it as a curse. And I've met people. I've met people that have so much going for them in their life. And I say, at least be thankful for the good. And it shocks me when they say, but I don't have anything to be thankful for. I didn't want to go out and listen to them. I'd be like, what do you mean? You have money, you have a tremendous amount of money. You have you know, a big home. You have a big family. You have so much things going for you and uh, you can't think of one thing to be thankful for. It's all in your mindset. You have to look at your mindset. Is your mindset that you can't see anything positive and everything is negative? Then guess what? You're going to sleep every single night depressed and you're going to wake up depressed. But if you're able to see the positive, if you're able to see the good in your life, then all of a sudden you're going to, wait. You're going to go to sleep in such a, such a happy state I, you know, we spoke about this so many times, I bring this so many times that I, I feel like everybody should go every single night and say th- five things that they're thankful for God, to God for. You know when the best time to say this? Before you go to sleep. Before you go to sleep, you say, thank you to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for giving me so much blessings in my life. Thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for giving me whatever it is. And eventually you'll come to a level that you could say, thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for giving me the difficulties in my life. Because I know that everything that you're giving me is lech lechas for my benefit. And when we reach that level, that when we go to sleep, we're going to go to sleep on such a high, such a level of, of literally sleeping on clouds. We're going to have such a beneficial uh, you know, sleep. Now, just to finish off with just how much important it is, this Kriyat Shema aspect. You know, what, this is what the importance, when you go and you say Kriyat Shema properly, you're going to sleep on a high level. You're going to wake up much better. Some skulot, some benefits of Kriyat Shema. Number one, it protects you from Azakim. So there are, you know, I guess we'll, I haven't spoken about this in a while. So there's something called demons, Shedim. And uh, the Gemara, there's the Gemara Bachot that brings down that... Uh, not to scare anybody tonight and hope that you'll be able to all to sleep, but um, there is uh, a certain concoction, let's call it, a certain um, recipe that if you do certain things, which we're not going to go through, then you sprinkle the ashes around your bed. In the morning, you'll wake up and you'll see that there are footprints, there's animal footprints going around on your bed. And who are those animal footprints? Those are the demons. Those are the demons. And... Uh, when you think about that, be like, are you kidding me? Like, there's demons all around, there's demons everywhere, there's these mazikim everywhere, and the answer is yes, there's mazikim all over the place. Even mazikim that you created yourself, these, when you do something, do a sin, especially certain sins, like wasting seed or different other, other, other aspects in that, in that realm, you create mazikim, you create damaging angels, you create demons, and these demons can go and, and, and affect you. But you know what protects you from it? You know what protects you from these mazikim? It's kriyachma. You say Kriyat Shema before you go to sleep, it protects you from all these mazikim around you. Even so much more that it could actually destroy the mazikim that you created. I had a person once tell me that they had a, they had a fear of spiders. They had a tremendous fear of spiders that whenever they go to sleep, they, they had a fear like, you know, a spider would crawl in their ear. Um, a spider would, would put a web through their ears and their nose and their eyes and in their mouth. They had this like fear of spiders. And uh, whatever it was, they had a very difficult time, you know, like falling asleep and, you know, staying asleep, you know, because of it. And they had to do certain things, certain precautions, whatever, to get, to get past that. But if you think about it, if, that's, if you're working on yourself to making sure that you're going to be able to sleep better because your fear of spiders, what about the, the fear of the other world, the other side that's going over there, that's these damaging angels? Aren't you, aren't you afraid of those things? But you know what? You have the protection. The protection is Kriyach Malimita. You say Kriyach Malimita, you're protected. 100% guaranteed. You have a shield around you. Not only that, it makes you have better dreams. You want to have good dreams? Say Kriyat Shema. The Zohar says that it saves you from Yisurim, saves you from suffering. Even furthermore, that sometimes you're at night and suddenly you get scared. And you, you're like this, you have this fear at night. You want to know why? Because you didn't say Kriyat Shema properly. You're supposed to say Kriyat Shema properly. Also, additionally, when you go to sleep and you have this, the, the proper Kavanah and Kriyat Shema, that will make your Tfilot also better during the day. I believe the Peleots brings that down. There's so many benefits of saying Kirach Malamita before we go to bed. And all it is, it's as Rav Shimshim Pingat says, you could tap into such an amazing mitzvah that you will gain six, seven, eight hours of schuyot for just five or ten minutes of work. 
So I recommend every single one of us tonight and for going further. And by the way, once you say Kathma, you don't have to repeat it a thousand times. Don't get, let your OCD get in. Oh, I didn't say it enough. Gotta say it once and that's, the, you know, move on. But you're supposed to say it. Try to say it with Kavana. It doesn't take you so long. You say from a Sidul, you buy, you go to the Svarim store, you buy, they have this pamphlet over there with Kiachma on, uh, you know, like on a two-page uh, little, like, laminated card. You go and you say Kiachma, and you'll be able to go and have this six, seven, eight hours of Tzchuyot that comes, in, comes into your life, comes into your spiritual realm. But even more so is that you'll wake up so refreshed. You'll wake up so much better the more kavanah, the more that you could go to sleep on a higher state, on a level of emunah, on a level of knowing that Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, and knowing that biyatcha I'm giving it to you, I'm giving you my soul. It's all in your hand. You'll be able to sleep so much better, and you will have in turn a healthier memory, healthier, you know, emotions. Everything that we spoke about in the beginning will be so much more healthier. It's so imperative. It's good for us both in this world and it's good for us in the, in the next world. It's so important to go and go to sleep with emunah, with bitachon. And, and how do you reach that? You get to that through saying kriyachma. We will now open up to any uh, questions. Question is over here is if we purify every night, then why do we have to purify up to 12 months after, after death? So, First of all, when the, the aspect of purification is, you know, it, it, there's still chuba, there's still isurim. It's When you go up to, maybe, a, maybe purification is not the best word, but it doesn't mean that you're, you're going to Gehenom when you get into heaven, uh, when you go up to sleep for a few hours. You're going up to sleep, you get purified, but you still have, meaning that, think of it like you're carrying a knapsack full of sins. And what happens is when you go to sleep, you deposit that knapsack up in heaven. You still have to deal with that knapsack either through chuba or through Ganom or through whatever aspect of suffering that you have to go through. But it's still there. But it's, you're just not carrying it all over with you. It's deposited. And God sort of waits to see what you're going to do with that. But obviously you still have to go and deal with that at, at one point or another. Um, yes, and I see over here someone that goes to sleep listening to Jewish lectures. It's very, very good. Isn't it, uh, isn't it true your soul and unconscious learns even your unconscious falls asleep? So there is, um, there is, so I don't know if you could say that if you listen to, to a class, you'll wake up knowing what you learned. In a sense, it does happen to your soul. But the Arizal um, was, no, there's a famous story with the Arizal that he, um, that, that his students saw that while he was sleeping, he was, he was mumbling stuff under his, under his, uh, you know, under his breath. And when he woke up, he said, what were you doing? And he said that he went, he went to Shemaim and he was learning. Just like he learns over here, he goes and he learns over there. And he says the amount that he was able to learn in his sleep, the amount that they were able to show him in his sleep, was, would have taken him tremendous amount of years just to accomplish what he learned in two hours over there. So there is an aspect of going and, and uh, learning in there, but that's a very, very high level. Generally, what we dream about is what we think about during the day or what we're dealing with. So if you're you know, dealing with, um, I don't know, or whatever it is, I can't even, nothing's coming to my mind, whatever it is, let's say you're dealing with cooking, so you're going to be dreaming about cooking, or to some aspect of it, but if let's say your mind is always in Kedusha, then when you go up to, to sleep, and you're sleeping, your, your soul goes up to, to have it, it's also going to have dreams related to Kedusha as well. Okay, it looks like that was the last question. Alright, okay, so with that, we bid everybody a good night, <laughs> and uh, please don't forget to say Kedushma. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.